Amen. I told you last week that that was our last message on John, but if you remember, I kind of, uh, I didn't... I didn't stick with the message that I originally had. I, I want to come back and, 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 and use that one this morning because there are some, there are some, some things in there I, I really think are important to us because my message today is kind of going to be on the, the practicality of what I preached last week. Uh, it's putting, uh, if you will, putting hands and feet uh, to what I preached last week. Last week I, I, I preached about, uh, the title of the message was Abide in Me out of John 15, talking about how Jesus said that we're to abide in Him. And this morning what I want to do is I want us to take a look at what does it mean to abide? How do I abide in Christ? Uh, same passages, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And if you're physically able, if you'd stand out of reverence to God's Word, please. This is Jesus speaking, and He says... I'm the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Something I want to point out here that's just kind of an extra, that word prune in the King James is purges. Now, normally what we think when we think of the word purge means to get rid of. But the Greek translation to this word purge here actually means to clean and to cleanse. And it makes perfectly good sense. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he's going to cleanse, he's going to take care of, so that it can bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the Father cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, most, but most importantly, the doing of his word this morning. You may be seated. You know, many people have a knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. A lot of folks know him as Lord and Savior, but I, I dare say that, that few people know how to abide in him. I'm not saying they're not saved, I'm, they're, they're, they're Christians, but they don't know how to abide in Christ. And so because they don't know how to abide in Him, they walk around in life uh, unsure, restless, and, and even fearful. Because they don't have that peace that the Bible tells us Christ gives us that passes all understanding. They don't have that abundant life that, that Christ desires for us all. Folks, when Jesus comes to live in our life, He comes in the person of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. The minute we get saved, Christ comes to dwell in us. But to truly abide in Him, we have to bring our thinking and our lifestyles into harmony with Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us, as a matter of fact, that we are to bring into captivity every thought into obedience to Christ. Jesus tells us that we're able to abide in Him. And when He says this, He means in all matters. We can abide in Him, trust Him in all matters, in all things. And see, a true Christian, a real born-again Christian, somebody who really knows Christ as Lord and Savior, cannot separate church life from real life. 
There are so many people that compartmentalize what they're doing. They've got the life, they've got a life that they live at church or around church people. They've got a life that they live around family. They've got a life that they live at work. And then they've got a life maybe even that they live with their friends. But to abide in Christ, our life needs to be consistent in all of those things. It needs to be consistent in all of those things because if we're living different lifestyles, then we're, then we're denying the faith. We're denying Christ as Lord in our life. And I think I've shared with you before an example. I had a, a young lady uh, in a previous church that was invited to church by somebody that she worked with. As a matter, a matter of fact, it was one of her supervisors. She started coming to church, gave her life to the Lord, and, and about a year after she was coming and, and became a Christian, she called and asked for an appointment to talk to me and she came into the office and she said, Pastor, I'm having a real problem. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, so-and-so, she was the one that, that invited me to church and I really love her and I've had a great deal of respect for her, but we were at work today and she wanted me to do something. As Her being my boss, she wanted me to do something and I told her, well, that's wrong. I don't think I can do that because it's, it's not the right thing to do. It's not Christ-like. And she told me that the supervisor, the boss, the woman that invited this, this girl to church, this young lady to church, told her, well, that's okay. This is work. That, that's church stuff we do on Sunday, but this is, this is work, so it's okay to do this. And she asked me, she said, what's the right answer? And I just looked at her and I said, well, what, what do you think the right answer is? And she says, I shouldn't do what she wants me to do. And I said, you're absolutely right. I'm assuming that problem got resolved because I never heard any more about it. But people think like that. And, 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 and as Christians, we can't think like that. Everything has got to be part of, of, of every aspect of Christianity has to be part of every aspect of our lives. Because if it's not, we're denying the faith. We're, we're denying Christ as Lord of our lives if we don't at least try to live it out in all areas. See, God created us in his own image. God is a, a triune God, a triune being, so we are a triune creation. Well, Pastor, what do you mean by a, a triune creation? We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God who chooses to manifest himself in three ways. And you've heard me say, you know, use this before maybe, the, the, the best example I can think of, the best analogy is water. We've got water in three forms, don't we? We've got water as a vapor. Clouds, fog, steam, mist, it's all water, right? We've got water as a liquid. We drink, we bathe in it, we swim in it. It's water, but it's a liquid. And then on, cold, on hot days like this, and you're out doing yard work, it's so good to go in the house and put a bunch of what in the cup, a bunch of ice cubes, and pour something in it, get a nice cold drink. Ice, water in solid form. All three things are water. All three are H2O. In, in any of those forms, do they no longer cease to be water or even to be any less water than what they are in another form? And it's the same way with God. We've got God the Father, God the, Holy, um, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to our salvation, this is a good way of thinking it. God the Father thought our salvation. In eternity past, he knew that he was going to create the earth, that he was going to put people here, but that right off the bat we were going to sin. And so he thought, well, how am I going to be able to bring these sinful people to me? God the Father thought our salvation. God the Son, Jesus Christ, bought 
our salvation. How did he buy our salvation? He bought our salvation by dying on the cross at Calvary. God the Holy Spirit wrought our salvation. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one that prompts us and convicts us of our need for, the, for a Savior. God the Father, the Father thought it. God the Son, the Son bought it. God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit wrought it. One God that manifests himself in three areas, in three different ways. And, and the reason I, I say that is because there are three things about our lives that I'm going to touch on. But even before I do that, I want to, want to take a look at quickly. Well, what does the word abide mean? The word abide comes from a Greek verb, meno, M-E-N-O, and it's a verb meaning, first of all, in reference to a place, somewhere to sojourn, or, uh, the process of sojourning or tarrying, and you don't leave that place. You, you, you stay there. You continue to be in its presence. You're held there. You're kept there continually. In reference to time, it means to continue to, continue to be there. To, to endure there. In reference to a state or condition, it means to remain as one, not to split or to become anything different. So we see here that that, that word abide in, in all three of those things, that relates to what Christ wants, to, wants us to do with him. When we abide in him, we're sojourning with him, we're tarrying with him, we're not going to depart from him. We're going to continuously be in his presence. We're going to remain as one with him. We're going to fellowship with him, and it's going to be an intimate, if you will, uh, an intimate fellowship. And last week I talked about the fact that it's going to be so intimate that, that, it's, that it can literally be, literally be like us crawling up in our, into our daddy's lap and just letting him love on us and take care of us and protect us. That's what the word abide means. Well, how do we abide? For us to abide in Christ, just as God is a triune God, we're triune beings. We're created in God's image. And we're going to see this morning that our, that our spirit has to abide in him, that our mind must abide in him, and that our body must abide in him. Three parts of our body. Our, our, our spirit is, well, let me, let me back up. Our body is what allows us to know the earth underneath of us. Okay? Our mind is what allows us to know the world around us. Our spirit is what allows us to know the God above us. We're a triune being, just like God is a triune God, but for us to truly abide in Him, all three parts of our being must abide in Christ. First of all, our spirit must abide in Him. We must walk in the Spirit. To abide in Christ, we must walk in the Spirit daily. In Galatians 5.16 we read, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 26 of that same chapter says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And the way that is translated, it kind of sounds like, it, may, as we read it in the English, that, that, that it's maybe kind of a suggestion. Well, if we live in the Spirit, hey, let's, you know, it's a good idea if we walk in the Spirit. But in the Greek, that, that's more of a command. Since we live in the Spirit, since Christ is in us, we have got to walk in the Spirit. And then Romans 8.24, 8, I'm sorry, tells us that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. In other words, the way that we walked before we came, became Christians, but walk according to the Spirit. See, when we come to Christ, the Bible teaches us, if anyone be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean automatically the minute you get saved, 
you know, automatically you quit cussing, you quit drinking, you quit smoking, you quit chewing, and you quit dating girls that do those things. But it means that God's going to start doing the work in our lives to, to change us more and more into the image of, of His Son, Jesus Christ. So if, if, we're, if we know Christ and, and, and we've got His Spirit living in us, we're going to, there's going to start to be some changes in our lives. God's Holy Spirit is going to convict us and conform us more to the image of Christ. So the first step abiding in Christ is that our spirit must abide in Him. We need to have a continual walk with God each and every day. Excuse me. It's lemonade, but a tall glass of sarsaparilla sure would be good right about now. Sarsaparilla, for those of you that don't know, is a drink they had in the Old West. You know, the Old West, Saddle Ridge Ranch. Y'all understand? Say amen. amen. If it was a bad joke, just say amen. amen. I'd have figured y'all have said that five times louder. But I appreciate it. Walking in the Spirit, our spirit must abide in Christ. We need to be nourished every single day. Just as you need food every day to keep the body nourished, you need spiritual food every day to keep your spirit nourished. None of us would think about going home today or going to Country Cook, those Country Cooking in Frederick, anywhere out here on 610, I can't think of any restaurants right now. None of us would think about going home or, or, or going to Chili's or Ruby Tuesday's or any of those places and getting a big old meal and say, man, that was pretty good. That's going to do me until next Sunday. I don't have to eat again. None of us would think about doing it, but some of us might want to think about you know, doing that. None of us would think about that, doing that to our physical body but yet, how many of us try to get by spiritually for the whole week based on what we were fed during Sunday morning worship service and maybe even Sunday morning Sunday school? We try to get by spiritually for a whole week on the one meal we got on Sunday. It, it, doesn't, get, it doesn't work. We're going to starve. We're going to die, if you will. How do we get fed? We get fed by a daily ration of time alone with God in prayer in His Word. Uh, getting along with God in prayer and in His Word each and every day because our spirit isn't going to grow if it's not fed. Stories told, and I know this is a politically correct, incorrect story in light of Michael Vick a few years ago, but stories told of a man that had two dogs that he fought. He trained them to be fighting dogs. And whenever he would go somewhere to fight, of course that's a, a sport that people gamble at, he would always put his bet down and he'd always win. And somebody asked him one time, says, I know they're both your dogs, I know you train both of them, but how in the, in the world do you know from week to week which one is the one that's going to win the fight? And the guy said, it's simple. The one that I fed during the week is going to be the one that's going to win. In other words, what he was doing, if you didn't get that, he was kind of starving one dog and strengthening the other one. But the principle is the same. If we go without being fed, our spirit isn't going to be nourished and it's not going to be strengthened. So to abide in Christ, first of all, our minds must abide in him. We do that through prayer and Bible study. I mean our spirit, I'm sorry. Secondly, our mind must abide in him. Folks, we need to be out there in the world but we shouldn't be of the world. In other words, we shouldn't be thinking the way they're thinking, acting the way they're acting, doing the things that they're doing if they're things that are contrary to God's Word. 
Romans 12.2 tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. What's that one song we, we, we sing? Take my, I think it's take my, my, my mind, transform it. I know I'm getting it out of order, but you know the thought. Take my mind, transform it. Uh, take my heart, conform it. And take my will, conform it to yours. That's what we're talking about right here. We're to be transformed so that we can prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Folks, we can't control the first thing that pops into our mind. If you don't believe me, I-95. What popped into your mind just now the minute I said I-95? It might have been good, it might have been bad, it might have been a traffic jam, it might have been a wreck, it might have been how frustrated you get, but the bottom line is, when I said I-95, if you're familiar with this area, the first thing that popped into your mind was Interstate 95. We can't control the first thing that pops into our minds, but we can control what we do with that thought. Some of you guys need to change what you're thinking right now, because you're thinking about 95, and I can see even up here the veins starting to pop out in your forehead. Okay? That was another joke. I'll just quit with the jokes and preach, okay? Man, y'all are tough today. We don't have control of what pops into our minds, but we got control over what happens next. Do we dwell on it? Some things that if we continue to dwell on it, that's when thoughts of greed or lust or envy or hate pop up because we're dwelling on things we shouldn't be dwelling on. Do we dwell on it or do we ask God to take it from us? Do we choose to adjust our thinking to the way Christ would think or the way that Christ would act? Do we choose to do what is the godly thing with that thought and turn from it or do we dwell on it? We can discipline our minds to think in a godly way. A while back we did a, a, a men's Bible study, men's discipleship class. We did a... Uh, a series on uh, every man's, it was called Every Man's Battle. And it was talking about men dealing with sexual integrity and, and being men of God. And, and one of the, the things they talked about was called learning to divert your eyes, learning to look away. The premise being, you know what, you can't help it if a, if a nice looking lady walks up in front of you. you can't, if she's right in your side of path, you can't help but see her. But if you don't want to start thinking ungodly thoughts, if you struggle in that area, instead of continuing to look, look, continuing to look at it, you divert your eyes. You go somewhere else. And after a period of, of, of disciplining yourself like that, it becomes an automatic action. We discipline ourselves to think like Christ. To abide in Him, we've got to discipline ourselves like that. Our minds build on what we do spiritually, and I, and I go even further to say not only what we do spiritually, but what we put into practice. If we're striving to, to build ourselves up spiritually, then our, then our mind more than likely is going to follow what our spirit's been doing. If we don't take time to study the Bible, guess what? We're not going to have any ammunition for when the, when the hard times come, when the temptations and the trials come. In Matthew 4, uh, beginning in Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted by, the, by Satan. Every time you will read in the Bible that every time Christ was tempted, he quoted scripture. The reason that, that, that some of us can't get our mind aligned with our spirit and do what's pleasing to God is because when the trials and the temptations and the tribulations come, 
We don't have the ammunition of God's Word that we can go to for comfort and for direction because we don't spend any, any time there. And I'm, I'm going to have you turn to some passages here quickly. just want to give some examples of passages that talk about, in a sense, on dwelling on God's Word. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is God speaking to Joshua and the people of Israel. He said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. God was telling the children of Israel, If, if your mind, if your, if your spirit and your mind and your body do what's pleasing to me, you're going to be prosperous and successful in my eyes. Maybe not the world's eyes, but in my eyes. Well, how do you do that? You do that by meditating on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. And, and, it, and it goes even further in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, we read, How can a young man, and in this case, you can just put young man, young woman, older man, older woman, it means anybody. How can anyone cleanse his way by taking heed to your Word, meaning God's Word? With my whole heart I have sought you, O oh, not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some of us don't have the ammunition to be able to withstand sin because we don't have God's word in our heart that deals with that particular situation. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much in all riches I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Then lastly in Philippians 4. Verse 8, and these are just a few of the verses. I probably could, could spend a whole hour throwing verses like this out at you. Philippians verse 8, Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Why is it that so many of us have trouble with things like this? I, I dare say that it's because we're, we're, we're meditating on the wrong things. We're spending our time doing the wrong things. Whether it's the music we listen to, whether it's the TV shows that we watch, whether it's the books we read, whether it's the movies we see. We spend so much time watching these other and doing these other things that folks... Whether you want to admit it or not, it begins to affect our thinking. What we spend our time on influences how we think and how we act. If you don't think that's true, then why in the world do they spend a million and a half, sometimes two million dollars, on a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl? Because they know if people see these things, it's going to influence the way they buy. It's going to influence what they do. And so many of us, young people and adults included, we spend so much time watching, I'm going to say the word, no little kids in here, crap on TV, whether you want to admit it or not, it begins to affect us. Reality TV ain't reality TV. It's not. 
And just to prove that point, I'm not being homophobic, but the very first reality show, Survivor, you tell me that a Navy SEAL, a trained Navy SEAL, is going to lose out to a 60-pound overweight homosexual guy. Him being homosexual has got nothing to do with it, but the guy was 60 pounds overweight, and this guy was a lean, mean fighting machine, and it was the chubby guy that won Survivor. Is that reality? It wouldn't have happened. So many of these things, they call it reality TV, but it's fabricated, and we dwell on it. MTV now, for you youngsters, they've got shows about, what is it, 16 and pregnant, or something like that? Y'all don't need, you know, guys, there was once a time when MTV played nothing but music. You know, and I remember the adults then were upset about that. But this junk that, that, that's on TV now, The Bachelor, you know, who wants to marry a millionaire or whatever it was? They're going to find true love. How are you going to find true love when you get five or six girls or five or six men? Oh, and the one that I pick out of that, that's going to be my true love. Baloney. That, that, that other, and I, I know I'm ranting here, that other new show they just had on MTV, Jersey or whatever. Folks, that's not real life. They try to say it is, and, the re and you know what? Eventually, it does become real life because those of us that watch it allow it to influence us, and we start living like that. The, the music we listen to, and, and some of you grown-ups are going to get just as mad at me as the kids are. Country music, folks, is just as bad as, as a lot of the rock and roll the kids are listening to. And I like, I like, I like good music. But this junk that you're talking about doing drugs and getting drunk and having sex and all this, that, and the other, our minds start to think like that. We think that we, we see men and women and teenagers hopping from bed to bed to bed. Oh, well, that's, that's normal. That's what everybody does. It might be normal, but it's not what God's Word says. And we cannot get caught up in saying, well, the world is doing this, so we can too. No, we're called to uphold God's standards. You know, for so many years, the church, and I'll get back to teenagers, the church has, has preached to kids, if they even do broach sex outside of marriage, well, you shouldn't do it because you might get, you might get pregnant or you might get a girl pregnant. No, we've got to get back to teaching and preaching. You shouldn't have sex outside of marriage because it goes against God's Word. God's got a plan and a purpose, and part of that plan and purpose is he doesn't want you to get hurt or to have to deal with things like pregnancy or, 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 or diseases, but those aren't the main reasons. He doesn't want us to do it because he said that it's sin. And if we're Christians and we believe his words, we need to live by it. I'm actually, and you've heard me say it before, more concerned about the adults that listen to country music than I am the kids that listen to rock and roll and rap and hip-hop because most of the kids realize, maybe I can't even say that, but some of them realize, well, this is, this, this is just what they do, and work with me on this. This is what they do. This is what they say. I know that maybe it's not real life or it shouldn't be. Whereas a lot of the adults, a lot of the country music that you hear, they throw just enough God in there that it sounds like it's theologically correct. Well, God, I'm going I'm to go to church Sunday morning and put my time in. You know, and, well, you know what? This guy's singing that if you go to church, you're going to go to heaven. Well, if he sings that, then it must be true. And who was it? The one guy, I can't think of his name, but he was talking about the song. You've heard, I've done it before. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. 
And in the song, he makes the comment, Hey, preacher, did you notice the $20, uh, the, the $10 bill that I, that I threw in the offering plate? There's one for everything I did last night, and, and basically another one uh, for, for today, and here I'm going to throw in another 20 and I'm paraphrasing, just to, just to getting good. Well, you know what? If I go to church and I throw money in the offering plate, he's a country singer, obviously they're, they're Christians. I'm going to go to heaven. No. But that is so rampant in country music and people buy into it. And, when, and if you don't think we're influenced by what we watch, if you don't think we're influenced by what we listen to, if you don't think we're influenced by what we read or look at in magazines, look at the way most of us dress. We dress the way, so many of us dress the way we do because of a TV star or a singer we've seen or because of a picture we've seen in a magazine, but yet we'll stand up and say, none of that stuff influences me as far as being a Christian. Yes, it does. I know even in my own life, I love, you know, I, I love good old rock and roll music. I love the Beach Boys. I love, I love that old 60s music in Motown. But I have in my life, and maybe I'm weaker than everybody else, I have got to watch how much I listen to that because if I start listening to too much of it, my desire is going to be to listen to that all the time instead of listening to contemporary Christian music or Southern Gospel or even... Even a radio station that's, that's going to maybe have a good preacher on there preaching. My mind is going to start focusing on the secular as opposed to focusing on the things that are going to have eternal benefits. We become and we do the things that we're, that we're influenced by, the, the, the things that we allow our mind and our spirit to dwell on. And, and then the, the third thing, and I, I didn't mean to get that caught up. I, I see the clock there. Not that I'm... Well, maybe I am today. So our spirit must abide in Christ. Our mind must abide in Christ. What we think, what we see influences how we act. We need to be soaking in godly things so that our thinking will be godlier. Not only our spirit, but our mind. But then we tie all that together. Not only our spirit, not only our mind must abide in Christ, but our body must abide in Christ. In 12.1, uh, Romans 12.1, Paul says, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Now, I'm going I'm to take a little bit of liberty with this one because uh, I know he's talking about the body, but I also think he's talking about our entire being. Because our body is going to do what our spirit and our mind tells it to do. We're to be a living sacrifice. It's holy and acceptable. Our bodies and spirit go where our mind tells it to. God calls us to be a living sacrifice. In other words, people need to see Jesus in us at all times and in all places. But what this means is that to accomplish this, every part of our being, our spirit, our mind, and our body, must abide in Christ, and it must align in Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. But it means that the desire of our heart, the goal of our life, is to live a godly life, a life that's set apart, a life that's a living sacrifice for Christ. And to abide means to put in practice all the things that we've learned in our prayer time and in our study time. Again, the world tells us to act one way on Sunday and another way the other six days. But part of abiding in Christ, learning to abide in Christ, means that we put into practice every day the things we learn in our Bible study and our prayer time. I hear so many people saying, and especially young people, well, the stuff that I learn on Sunday morning isn't relative 
when I, when I either go to school or for adults when I go out into the work world Monday through Friday. You know why it's not relative? Because, relevant? Because we don't put it into practice. We don't put it into practice. We read in the Bible, love your neighbor as yourself, but what happens, I'll go back to 95, the first thing we get on 95, Monday morning. <laughs> Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? No. We get into school and there's somebody that's not popular or somebody that, that we don't like. What do we do? Do we treat them like, like Christ or do we treat them like they're the enemy? When, when, we're, when we're tempted to do something that we know isn't in God's Word or is contrary to God's Word, do we buy into it and do we do it or, we do, or do we say, no, my, the Bible says that this is wrong. God says this is wrong. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have the guts to take a stand whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. The reason it's not relevant to us is because we don't put it into practice. What did James say? Uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many, that, that's, that's a sticking point for me right there. Because lots of times I'm quick to anger and I'm quick to run my mouth before I hear anything. But the question is, are we trying to put the, they'll, they'll, they'll be relevant if we try to live it out, if we try to put it in practice. But why should we be doing all these things? Number one, so that we will continually draw closer to Christ. And number two, so that a lost and dying world will see that there's something different about us. We might not be perfect, but they'll see that there's something different about us, and maybe they'll come to us and say, why do you act the way that, that you do? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you not do the things that you don't do? You know, and we can say, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I cannot not lose my temper on my own. If it were up to me, I'd probably be losing my temper every five minutes. Here, I thought I was just share a little joke with you, a little, little aside with you. Uh, Seth, which by the way, the, he, he's with his mom downstairs. They made it as far as the state semifinals. I uh, had to win one game that had gone to the state championship, and they, but they, they lost the game Friday night. I mean, Wednesday, Thursday night. Well, after, uh, after the game, Rachel and Neil came, and after the game, we went out to dinner, and, and uh, we, were, you know, we were just, just fellowshipping and joking, and, and, and we were talking about crazy love, and, and I was telling Rachel about how that's just affected my life, and, and I've just been really trying to live my life differently in Christ because of that book and automatically my wife's like yeah but Rachel you should have saw him the other day he lost his temper doing this and he was fussing about that and he was fussing about the other and I'm like honey well yeah maybe you know I was calm on the inside but uh, on the outside but on the inside I'm like, why in the world this is somebody in the church and you're making it look like you know <laughs> people think I'm up here and you're telling Rachel and Neil all this you know I might not have shown it but on the inside I was I was quick to anger. We need to, to learn to abide in Christ with our, with our spirit, with our mind and our body so that we can at least try to live. The goal of our life is to try to live the way he wants us to live so other people will, will see it and so that we'll be a reflection of Christ. And I'll even take it a little bit further. Take that little, I forget what you call it in grammar, take that of out of there so that we can reflect Christ. Not be a reflection of, but be, but but totally reflecting. So where do we stand today? In closing, where do we where do we stand today? Do we truly abide in Him? If we don't, what are we going to do about it? Maybe before you didn't understand what it meant or how to abide in Him. We've got the tools now. 
to, to be able to do it. What are, what are we going to do? How are we going to take what we learned here today and apply it to what we're going to do tomorrow when we go to work and when we go to school? Because we learn to abide as we apply what we learn. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Please. This is going to be a quick invitation because I know time's late and, and I don't like keeping you guys here this late.